I'm going to share on something called plentiful. And, you know, a lot of people like plentiful. Lots of, you know, because everybody will shout about plentiful, right? Plenty, plentiful, plenteous, those terms, right? Oh, plenteous. You know, that's what we want. Turn with me to John 3, and uh, we're going to start right here, John 3. This verse you may have heard of before, uh, John's Gospel, the third chapter, and I'm going to talk about that the Lord has commanded you to be involved and, and have plenteous, plentiful, but it may not be what you think, and it may be. But notice this in John 3.16, most of us have heard this. Years ago, they used to have a rainbow wig guy in the end zone at most football games, and he had a sign, John 3.16. And then there was a wrestler, whatever his name was, 3.16. Anybody remember that? Yeah, yeah you do, yeah, of course. And I don't remember his first name, but, you know, there's been plays on this because it's, it's a very popular verse. And it has to do with what we're talking about here on having plenteous or plentiful. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Notice it didn't say he didn't hate the world. So God hasn't changed his mind. He hasn't gone, now I hate the world. So what is it about the world that he loves? He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, so now it's the world and it's about his son and then whosoever. So now he's talking about the people of the world. And so he said that whosoever believes in him should not perish or be destroyed, but have or receive everlasting life. Verse 17 said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the purpose of Jesus coming. So when we see people today with signs out, you know, and they're quote unquote a Christian, they may be our brothers in the Lord. They may have given their life to the Lord, but they may be misguided because you'll see them with signs that say, God hates you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you see them, God hates you. You know, uh, we grew up, uh, in, I grew up in Southern California, and we'd go to the Rose Parade every year because my grandmother uh, had a home, and it was on Sierra Madre Boulevard, which the parade goes up Colorado, then up Sierra Madre. So it literally went in front of her house. So you just sat right there, and you know people just flocked there. But after the parade was over, there were all kinds of people walking, and we had those people now that would say, God hates you type. You know, you're going to hell. And there is a legitimate thing about telling someone you go to hell, but to tell them God hates you is wrong. It's wrong. God may hate what is happening, but he recognizes the state of humanity. And so here he said God did not send his son 
into the world. But it said God so loved the world that he gave or sent his son. And here he said he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Well, there's another verse in the Bible says that the world without him is already condemned. They, the world didn't need to be further condemned. They, everybody in the world was in a fallen state. We, humanity, needed help. And so he said, he didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The next verse goes on to say, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. Then it goes on to talk about because he didn't believe in the Lord. And, and here's the thing. So many people are so confused in the world today. We have to be careful as believers what we feed on. Because you can turn on the news and they're going to say, we don't understand why all these people are freaking out. And they're killing people and doing this. So we say, you know, we need to change this and need to change this. It's not about a bunch of putting a bunch of laws into motion to change people. And so people are like, well, it's the politics and it's all this. Listen, the world has a problem. I was like, my neighbor's got a problem. Yeah, they're part of the world. You know, they are. They're part of the world. My boss has got a problem. The world has a problem. And the solution isn't everybody coming together and singing, I love you. You know, you love me. And having Barney there. You know, if you don't know who that is, I'm sorry. You probably were blessed to not know that. Matthew, ninth chapter. So if God sent his son in the world, and then he said not to condemn the world, and then they said, he said everybody in the world basically who doesn't believe is, uh, and is already condemned. So he's basically telling us back then when this was written, there was however many million people now, you know, just the, the population has over doubled in, you know, the last hundred years. And so we've got seven billion. It's going to be just a few more years and we'll have eight billion people. So if the world was in that state, then the world's still in that same state. But the solution was presented. But the problem was... Jesus left. Man. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Remember, we're talking about plenteous. Plenteous. And a lot of people want a lot in their life. And there are a lot of things to have. But is there a plenteous thing that God wants everybody to have? and everybody to be involved with. Is this a priority that we're about to talk about? Matthew 9, verse 37. Uh, well, we'll read verse 36. But when he saw, this is Jesus, the multitude, 
he was moved with compassion for them. In other words, Jesus saw crowds of people and he was moved with compassion. He, he was concerned about them. And why was he moved with compassion? It's interesting, he had just healed them all. So in that place, they were all good. And it says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus said the world that he looked at were weary, beat down, and he was moved with compassion, not because they, uh, you know, didn't have a car, that they didn't have the right kind of home, or he said because they didn't have a shepherd. And in our world today, especially in the United States, we say, look at all these people that don't have, and I'm not saying us, I'm saying the world, and they say, we need to get stuff in their hands. That's their problem. And that is not their problem. Because you can get stuff into people's hands, and it's not going to change things. And he said, the, the problem that Jesus observed and he was moved with compassion or a real deep love. And what did he say? He's, it says he was moved with compassion because they were sheep having no shepherd. It literally means, you know, they didn't have a pastor. And Jesus is actually called the good shepherd. And he was moved with compassion. And then he gathered his disciples or spoke to them. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful. Oh, that's the word. Plentiful. It's not lacking. There's a huge harvest. And if there was a plentiful harvest back then, it's got to be more today. There's more people. But notice this, he didn't say, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. He said, but, though it's this way, he said, but the laborers are few. There's not a lot of people that are laboring. And what does it mean to labor? In the context, he's talking about people going out and harvesting souls, harvesting lost people, recognizing that the world is a harvest field. Meaning the people we work with, we're doing a mission trip to Central America this year, and we'll see hundreds and hundreds of people saved and communities changed. But that's awesome. But going there... And doing something there is not the harvest field. That's not the whole thing. Like when I come back, well, praise the Lord, I worked in the harvest field, but I'm back here. No, the whole world is a harvest, and the Lord wants it harvested. He said, therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out 
laborers, or you could say more laborers, into his harvest. Well, there's a few observations that are worth looking at. He's basically saying if the harvest is plenteous, then that means there's potential for a massive harvest. Does it mean there will be a massive harvest? No. Because if you go to the farmlands of the U.S. and go through the central states, you can drive or central California and see just grain fields and different types of fruit and different things. Those things do not harvest themselves. You can go, whoa, there's going to be a big harvest. This is incredible. But they hire extra people to go out there and harvest. And even nowadays, uh, we have machinery to get great harvest. You know, combines, big machines to bring in a harvest. But they all take manpower to harvest the thing or what happens to the harvest? It goes to the ground, it perishes, and it is never used or retrieved for its purpose. So if something were ever to happen to a farmer, and nobody did anything to the area of land he was responsible for, it would fall back into the ground, and that whole harvest would be lost. The interesting thought would be, have harvests, a harvest fields been totally lost. I'm talking human souls because the harvesters didn't harvest. It's a good question. And I know when we live in this world, people have to realize the harvest of people are not always for being harvested. You need to remember that. Were you all for serving God before you served God? You know, you might have been hurting and that became a way for somebody to get you in. But the harvest is plenteous. And so you could say it's more plenteous. So there's more potential for a greater harvest today. And here's the invitation. Will you be a harvester? You have an influence around you that I don't have. And then other people in other places have opportunity to reap people there around. And if he said the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers or those who will go pick the harvest are few, means not many. Realize this, when the fields are reaped or one comes out of the field, a human, we bless other people when we reap somebody. How many of you are blessed to serve the Lord? Somebody reaped you. They went after you and got you and you're living in the blessing of somebody else going after you. Whether it was a mom, a dad, 
a brother, a sister, a cousin, a co-worker, a school friend, whoever it was, you are actually reaping the blessing of them. Do you, are you glad for that? Here's the thing. Should we stop it from reoccurring with somebody else? You know, it's like, man, I made it in the school bus. I'm on ride and it's cool. I'm just going to sit down and ride this thing out. No, there are many people out there and Jesus was so concerned. He did not tell his disciples, uh, pray about you doing it. He actually, right after, commissioned them. He didn't tell them to pray about it for themselves. He just said, you go do this. You pray that God would get other people doing it besides you. He didn't even offer them an option. He just said, okay, you're going out there. If you read the very next chapter, he said, and when he had called his 12 disciples together, he gave them power and to do these things, and he sent them out. He just sent them out. You with me? And so if he sent them out, he didn't say, hey, we'll just pray about it and see what happens. And so what we need to realize is this, is there... A benefit to reaping a harvest. For you, yes. For other people, yes. I think sometimes we don't like what's going on in the United States. Recently, I was praying about some neighbors. I was like, Lord, you know, I, I did. Because I was like, this guy parties, he does all this stuff, you can smell it, you know, you I think he was back there like an Indian making smoke clouds, you know. <laughs> but he wasn't burning, he's burning something else. And I'm like, I don't like this. And I was like, Lord, I just pray that you'd move him. And something went wrong inside. And then I was like, well, just send somebody across his path. And the Lord dealt with me. I immediately changed my prayer. I'm the one, you just give me an opportunity. You show me, I'm going to get him. I'm going to. Because he kind of corrected me. Because I'm like, get him out of here. And the Lord's like, you, you talk to him. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been waiting. I'm, you know, I might be looking out my front window. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm like, when do I get an opportunity? I almost never see him. I smell him. And um, so I'm like, what do I do when I smell that? Look over the fence and go, hey. And he'd be like, whoa. And... Um, but I thought, I'm gonna. So here's the thing. God was more concerned with him and me doing something about it. And so I've been looking. You know, sometimes people say, um, we need bigger altar calls, more people saved. You know, an altar call is only as good as the lost people that are brought. I learned a long time ago, fishing, uh, if there's no fish where you're fishing you're probably not going to catch many fish. And some people mistake uh, things fishing. When I was little, um, we lived near a lake, and you could ride your bike there. As a kid, we used to do that. And so I don't know where I came up with this, but if you ever see bubbles coming up, you know, ever been to a lake and you see bubbles? Well, when I was little, I was like, oh, there's a fish. Oh, there's a fish right there. Now, if you believe that, don't raise your hand. 
But I'd be like throwing lures thinking, why am I not getting anything? And I, I didn't know till a couple weeks ago, no, um, later on, that actually it's just gas underneath the, the water. And when the water level either gets low enough that the pressure of the gas gets stronger, it lets bubbles out. And there's more gases like during the hot times in the summer. So that's when you see it. Matter of fact, I remember one lake by my house. I had a friend that worked uh, for public works and they drained this lake when it got to a certain place. They said that the lake will turn over. A bunch of gas will come. It'll suck all the oxygen out and all the fish will come to the surface. And, um, you know, then I realized, oh, yeah, that's uh, that whole thing I used to think. But I think sometimes if people uh, come to church and go, man, God is doing something good, there's bubbles in that church. I sense them. Do you sense them? I sense them all around me. There's bubbles. Woo, there's bubbles. But why aren't there more lost people? Well, that pastor. No. The reason there's not more lost people, I'm not going to tell you why. I'm just going to read. But if we think, oh, it's all the bubbles that will do it. Now, if there's extreme amounts, you know, like fire on the building, a big giant cloud of glory, people are going to go, whoa. They'll come that way. But those are not even a regular thing in the Bible. And, but they're great to get people's attention when you bring them. But the fact of the matter is... Uh, the harvest is plentiful, but it's the laborers that are few. Notice Jesus didn't even say it was about him. He didn't even say it was about him. Everybody okay? He didn't say it was about him. Turn to Revelation 3.11. Revelation 3, verse 11. These are letters right here written to different churches. And he gave different ones different instructions. And he makes this statement. He said, behold, verse 11, Revelation 3, 11, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. I'm going to read it in a different translation. It says, Lo, I'm coming quickly. Be, uh, be holding fast to that which thou hast. In other words, do the right things that you are supposed to do. Then it goes on to say that no one may receive thy crown or some, you could say it like this, that nobody else would get your crown. It's an interesting statement. He said that, that nobody else would get your crown. You got to do what you're supposed to do as a believer. He was writing to believers here. Or he said, when you get to heaven, somebody could get your crown. Somebody else could have your crown. 
I know we in the United States are really trained to, to prepare for retirement and do different things for the retirement and retirement, put money away for your retirement. But we talk about heaven and uh, there are things you can do. Your giving tithes and offerings causes things to abound to your account here and lays things up in heaven. Your service in the kingdom of God in reaching people, your enduring and uh, overcoming temptations, and then reaching the lost, there, there are independent crowns, and you can get them for these different things, uh, but there is a crown you know, of life for the one who overcomes, and all these different crowns. But it's interesting, he said, somebody else could get this crown or a crown of yours. And we talk about laying stuff up in heaven, and there are crowns that God would like each of us to have. And they mean something more than just a crown. They're about position. They're about eternal reward. Some people think life is long here. This is tiny. And people are, it, it's in man to prepare for retirement. Why? Because it's in man that we will retire in heaven forever if you're saved, so to speak. You know what I mean? And so there's something in us that we know lay up for this earth, but there are scriptures about laying up for the other. But isn't it interesting? He said, lo, I'm coming quickly. Be holding fast to that which thou hast, that no one may uh, receive your crown. That means that there are things in heaven that God wants you to have, but others may end up with them. It's an interesting thought. Somebody might say, well, it's just good enough to get in, but there's more than that, than just getting in. I'm going to read a, a a vision a man had in 1950. It was actually the founder of the Bible school I went, I went to. And uh, this is pretty profound, but I'm going to read this. It says, I had called, he was in this uh, meeting with these people. He said, I had called people around the altar to pray. It was September 2nd, and it was 1950. As I was praying, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me in a wonderful way. And uh, I begin to pray in other tongues. In a few minutes, I heard a voice saying unto me, Come up hither. And I looked up and saw Jesus standing with the crown in his hand. And when I heard him first tell this, he said he had it here at his side, this big, big, beautiful crown. And he actually asked, he said, What is that? And he said, This is a soul winner's crown. The crown was the most beautiful, um, or most beautiful, and human language could never describe it. He said to me, my people are so careless and indifferent. This crown is for every one of my children I speak to or deal with and say, go speak to this one or pray for that one. But my people are too busy. They put it off and souls are lost because they will not obey me. This was 1950. He said, I wept before him and repented of my failures. Jesus then said to me, 
come up hither. And it seemed as if I had gone through the air and still, and I saw a beautiful city. And we did not go into the city, but beheld at a close range how beautiful and indescribable it was. Jesus said, my people are so selfish, they say they're ready and talk about their mansion and the glories of heaven while many all around them are in darkness and have no hope. He said, share your hope with them and invite them to come with you. Then he took me down to hell. As I, as I had beheld it, I saw what seemed to be human bodies wrapped in flames. Jesus said to me, warn men and women about this place. And I cried out with tears that I would. Then he brought me back to the earth and he stood next to me and began to describe some different things. It's interesting that he had this experience. There are other people who had experiences like this in the Bible. And actually there are other people that's interesting around this time in the 50s that had some interesting experiences like this. There's a man named Lester Summerall who uh, was 19 years old and uh, he was, he, the Lord had spoke to him and told him, you need to start doing certain things. He was, he was in a rented schoolhouse and he was preaching to people, farmers and stuff. And one night as the song leader was up doing his thing, you know, leading, because they would lead the people. You, the people. And he said, you know, they were going at it. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, I was just standing there. And, and he said, I didn't even know I was having a vision at first. He said, everything just disappeared in front of me. And he said, um, the crowd disappeared. Everybody disappeared. And he said, back then, he was, uh, you know, he was from... Florida and was there in I think it was Tennessee somewhere down in the south and he said but I dressed in white so he had a white jacket white shirt tie white pants and he said I was dressed he's a short pretty rough guy and he said I was in all white when he said this happened and he said all of a sudden he went up and he saw this river just flowing and the Lord was standing there and he said what is that? And all of a sudden he went close to the river and he said it was more like a big highway. And he said, he said and then I started kind of seeing it all over the world. And I saw like Manchurians and, you know, the Chinese, the Japanese and people in the South Pacific. And he said they had no clothes on. And then he said, I saw people in their native garb from this country and this and the different people dressed different ways. And he said, what is this? And, and he said, and he saw just the push of people just going. And they were just going along in droves. And then he said, there was a little path going off this river. And there were just people slowly going off. Not big, but short. And he said, what is this? He said, that's the road of life. And everybody's on it. No matter who you are, you're on the road of life. He said, what's that little road? He said, remember when I said, you know, broad is the path and narrow is the way? 
and, you know, few there are that find it. He said, that's the way of salvation. And he said, then they went up to the end of it, and he said, there was a huge lake of fire. And he said, right when the people got to the edge and they realized their lives were over and they were dying, he said, then they started panicking, thinking, what am I going to do? He said, then it was too late. He said, you could see people trying to stop. And, and, but just the press of life, because time was passing, they would just fall off in. And he said, this lake of fire, he said, people would begin to curse and tear themselves and pull their hair and just cuss. And he said, language, he said, that you just don't repeat. And they would go, and he said, there would just be a splash. And he said, that ripple would disappear, and they would be gone forever. But there would be other ripples of people just falling in constantly. And he said, Lord, why are you showing me this? He said, because it's, he said, you're to blame. And he was like 19 years old. He said, what do you mean I'm to blame? He said, you're to blame. He said, I've never been here and never been where he saw all these people. He said, I've never been there. He said, you're to blame. He said, what do you mean? And he put his hands like this and he said, Blood just started pouring out all over his hand. He said, their blood is on your hands. And he said, what do you mean? I've never been. He said, you'll have to go. He said, I don't want to go. He said, you'll have to go. Their blood is on your hand. And then he quoted to him a scripture from Ezekiel. He said, if the wicked continue in their wicked way and you do not warn them, he said, your, their blood will be upon your hands. It's interesting because in the New Testament, before the Apostle Paul, after he had lived out his life in the book of Acts, he made a statement. He said, I did not forsake to tell people the whole counsel of God. He said, now I've told everybody the full counsel, the church and everything. And in the day and age we live, it's not real popular to, uh, Tell people everything. Because maybe people will get offended and they won't like and they won't come. But he said, I preached the whole thing. And then he said this, therefore, or because of this, I am innocent now of the blood of all men. And so if the harvest was plenteous, and there was this crown that even Jesus described in this vision, and we can read about crowns in the Bible, there are rewards for those who will obey him. But this crown is supposed to be for everybody. This is not a crown we should go, well, I don't, I'll just skip on that one. Because to say that would mean we're not moved by a lost world. Jesus said it like this one time. He said, lift up your eyes and look. Have you ever been so busy you don't see really what's going on around you? We, we can be like that. We can be so busy in life that we don't know what's going on around us. And there is a world that is in need of a Savior. You with me? This isn't to condemn anybody, 
But I don't know about you, I remember when I gave my life to the Lord, how wonderful that was, how great that was, how good it still is. But to think, have I not spread what somebody else shared with me about? I still remember the guy witnessing to me. He was definitely not per perfect. Now, I'm not recommending what he did, but he literally cussed right after he witnessed to me. He, he witnessed to me, told me, you know, you, you, about the Lord. And then a car honked at us at the gas station because we weren't moving. And he cussed. He went, you blank. And he went, oh, man. And I remember him looking at me going, dude, I can't believe I did that. I'm trying to witness to you. I did, that was like speaking Chinese. I was like, oh, people cuss. You know, I didn't know. And, and, but I, he realized that wasn't right for him as a believer. And I'm not saying it's okay, but God took those words, not the cuss words, the other words, and started dealing with me about my life. What, what if he would not have done that? And, you know, I'm all for, as believers, coming to church and being blessed. And I believe there are blessings in life. But if we're living so selfish that we don't think of others, um, then we may be missing the big picture. You know, the reason I go there, it's the presence of the Lord. It's a blessing. It is. And I expect it to be stronger. But is it just so we can be blessed and go, were you blessed? Oh, I was blessed. You were not as blessed as I was blessed. Oh, no, I was quite blessed. If anybody was blessed, I was blessed this morning. This is what the Lord spoke to me. Wonderful. What did he speak to? Well, he spoke this to me. Well, could you sense God doing this? All those things are good, but if that's what we're doing, and that's our priority, we may fall into the thing right here of being selfish. Is it okay to have that? Sure it is. I believe God wants good things for you. I believe he doesn't want you to go to church and go, oh, this is horrible. No. I believe he wants you to go and be blessed and experience him. But you're experiencing something now because of somebody else. Everyone. Somebody said, no, it was my parents. Somehow you got here and it's very rare that it's just the Lord appeared to me and said, come. It does happen. But it's rare. You with me? We'll read this last verse. Somebody said, please. Please. Please read this last verse. Luke 14. 23. This whole story here is a parable about this great supper that was being prepared. And the master is a picture of the Lord. And, and, he, and he commanded the people to go out and invite people to come. And it's interesting that often people had excuses why they would not come. 
They had excuses. No different than today. People have excuses. Before you started serving the Lord, did you have excuses? Oh, yeah. People do have excuses. And so we shouldn't be put out by people's excuses. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, well, I got to go do this, and I got to go do this. You know, I got a brand new this, and I got to go do this. People had excuses back then, but the Lord was not satisfied with the harvest and what was supposed to be. So after he still had room in verse 23, they had come back and said, we, we went and did what you did. He told him, get back out there and do it again. And then he said this in verse 23. Then the master said, Luke 14, 23, go into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Notice the, the master didn't say, I'll fill my house. He told his followers, his disciples, you go out there, you go and get them. But notice this phrase. He said, the master said to the servants or to the people, go into the highways and in the hedges and compel them to come in. That my house would be filled. Notice that. And then he goes on to read or say, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. In other words, he's talking about Jesus gave this to the Jewish people who were rebelling against him, going, we don't believe in you. And he was basically saying, there are others out there who will come if you don't want me. Because remember, a lot of them rejected him. And this is like a command today. And the word there, compel to me, means do something. Put pressure on. Because have you ever told people, hey, you want to come? No, not really. And, but I know this, once you get people and compel people, God can work in them. And to me, if it says compel, that should give me courage to know that listen, if I have to compel them, that means I may have to work at this a little bit. That they may not respond the very first time. It, it, to compel means to, you know, kind of put a case out there for it. And, and there really is a case for it. If the only case we have is there is a living Savior and you can really meet him if you come with me, that should be all there is. But you can put pressure on because I guarantee you. What, what I think sometimes people don't realize is this is spiritual, not natural. There is an enemy to their soul. And he's going to lie to their minds and say, no, you don't need to go. And some people have come to the conclusion that there's no power, there's no nothing, this is for the weak-minded people, those are the ones who go to church. Oh no, if you've been serving God for any length of time, you know this isn't for the weak of heart. 
You with me? You know there is a reality, though, to spiritual things. And there is a living God. And that's why we would want to bring him and compel him to come in so that they can get in the atmosphere. And so it's not just us talking amongst the Christians, telling about the bubbles coming up through the water that we're experiencing there. And you've got to come experience this. We need to let other people know, you can come and really know God there. You will experience him. Come and prove me wrong. Tell them you'll buy them a lunch. Somebody said, that's like bribery. More like compelling to me. But I was serious. So I'll get you a donut if you just come on the right day. But, I'm, but the truth of the matter is, if he said here, then the master said to the servants, go out into the highways and in the hedges, compel them to come in that my house may be filled. He was not satisfied. The Lord was not satisfied with the lives that were being reached. He said, well, we've done some of it. He said, no, no, I'm not satisfied. I'm not, I'm not satisfied. If he wasn't satisfied back then, he's not satisfied now. I'll say this. This should stir in you something. If you're a believer, there should be something in you that starts stirring going, yeah, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. And, and let me make this statement. If the Lord said, go into the harvest field and reap the harvest, but we pray and say, Lord, send the harvest, we are doing something that we think is spiritual, but where did he ever say, pray, Lord, to send the harvest? What if a farmer sat there one day at the table with his wife in the morning and said, Lord, send the harvest. You know what? It would still be in the field. And if he prayed another day and said, Lord, send the harvest. You know where the harvest would be? In the field. And, but wouldn't it, wouldn't, you know, if you were a neighbor, wouldn't you think, Wow, that farmer over there, he's spiritual. If there's any spiritual farmer, it's Larry. He prays every day, Lord, bring in the harvest. But, I, but we don't understand why Larry doesn't get a harvest. And none of the other neighbors prayed for a harvest. And they just went, I'm going to go out there and cut it down and bring it in. But Larry's still praying for the harvest. If we're praying, Lord, send in the harvest, and he said, go get it, we're missing him. We're passing him on the highway. And if we think, well, when's the Lord going to answer the prayer? He already did. He said, go get it. How many of you have had God's done something wonderful in your life and you know it at some point? I would bet you everybody could say that. Then, then I'll tell you right there, we all got good news. 
We all have good news. 